When it comes to fixing a busted beer cooler on a hot summer day, failure isn't an option. Welcome to Service Calls, a podcast brought to you by Heritage Parts in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. Each month we talk to experts and service techs to bring you the latest news and tips for use in the field. I'm Rob LaFrance, and in this episode we're going to talk to one tech whose experience and perseverance helped to find and fix a compressor leak. But first, let's say hello to Food Service Equipment Reports Managing Editor Allison Resendiz. Hey, Allison. Hey, Rob. Okay, let's talk combi ovens. And operators love them for their cooking versatility and a compact footprint. They're relied on big time in the kitchen and packed with technology, and all that leads to a fair share of service calls. On the phone, we have Manager of Consultant Services at Rationale, Stuart Schwadron, knows a thing or two about combi ovens. Based in Illinois, Rationale earned a 2019 Kitchen Innovations Award from the National Restaurant Association for its Ultravent Plus, a recirculating hood for ventilation. Combi ovens. And Stuart, there's no shortage of new combi ovens on the market. They're loaded with new features. What are some of the new advances you've seen debut in the past couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. You know, we're really excited because it seems like the population of restaurateurs and operators, food service establishments, etc., have really started to adopt combi technology, which has allowed the innovation to flow, which is really cool. In our space, we're really proud that with combi technology getting the acceptance from different approval organizations that has also given us the ability to develop features like the ultra vent which is a recirculating hood that was recognized at the national restaurant association this year it's a great technology and inside the unit what we're really excited about is consistency we've been able to bring intellectual property and bring in some artificial thinking i guess you could say and really incorporating not just nuts and bolts, but software as well. Wow, that sounds like a lot of exciting new tech. Uh, Let's focus on ventless hoods for a sec. Could you talk a little bit about what service and maintenance is involved? Sure. On maintenance of the ventless hood, really what it would look like for the operator or for the service at the end of the day is cleaning. So we recommend cleaning the inside of the hood same as you would with a large commercial permanently installed hood. So most operators would say it weekly, they're wiping it down. There's a grease baffle that would get washed in normal wear washing equipment. And in our Ultra Plus version, Ultra Vent Plus version, there's actually two different replaceable filters. There's indicator lights to actually tell the operator when that needs to be done. Stuart, we've heard stories of operators using a knife instead of their finger to control the touch pads. And um, I'm just wondering, with these combi ovens having so many touch screens and touch pads, what advice do you have for service technicians when they're taking care of these? What we did is when we redesigned a few years ago, the new touch screen for the self-cooking center, we basically engineered it so the front membrane on the display can actually be replaced without having to replace the whole display. And as long as that membrane is replaced in a timely manner before water infiltrates it or before other cleaning liquids potentially are involved, it can actually save that touch screen. So what we've done is sort of a two-part effect. Number one, make it very durable. And number two, make the component that fails the most, that membrane right on the front, 
is now replaceable. How about when it comes to enhanced self-cleaning technology? Uh, I know that when I worked in a restaurant, I'd love to have some of that equipment that was uh, self-cleaning. Can you talk about any common issues or thoughts on this technology? We really have tried so hard to make that easy on an operator. And knowing that everybody has a bit of a different sense of what clean actually means, we felt one of the best solutions was let the machine take care of it. And we've worked really hard to both make sure that the machine can take care of itself on the inside and in, we'll say, the guts of the unit, right? Both on the inside of the guts and on the inside of the cooking chamber. Stuart, thinking of service technicians, do they in the field um, have anything that they should look for as far as that self-cleaning technology? I hear it sounds like that the operators involved in it the most, but uh, on the service tech end, is there anything they need to know? I think when service technicians are in front of a piece of equipment, we have the experts in the room. And that's a great opportunity for the technician to make sure that the right products are being used. Hopefully taking a look at the space and saying, do you have chemicals? Are you using them? It's uh, an interesting point because we can't solve for every scenario. And when a technician goes in, notices there is some buildup in the space. Maybe they go into the software and they can actually check the level of scale buildup in the boiler digitally. They can check those things and then tell if an operator is actually running the cleaning as frequently as they need to. Well, you've given a lot of great advice, Stuart. Is there anything else you want to add as far as servicing newer technology on combi ovens? You know, I think one of the things to recognize is these combis are complicated pieces of equipment. And the best way they can avoid mistakes is making sure they rely on, number one, our internal service team. If they are in front of a machine and there's any question at all, we have a dedicated team of people that are in our office in Chicago answering the phones and can support them. If those technicians have been factory trained, they have priority access to talk to those people quickly to make sure and minimize downtime. I think referring to all the documentation, coming to training, and making sure that they're comfortable with the repair is the best case to set them forward. Great info, and thank you. That was Manager of Consultant Services at Rationale, Stuart Schwadron, and Food Service Equipment Reports Managing Editor, Allison Resendiz. Our next segment is called From the Field. On the phone with me is Install Manager for Hagar Restaurant Service in Dallas, Texas, Roy Cagle. And Roy, you got a call about one of the worst things that could possibly happen at a sports bar on a warm summer day. The beer cooler went down, and on top of it, you weren't the first person to get your hands on this piece of equipment. Yes, sir. Somebody went out on a, uh, another tech went out on a Thursday and just put refrigerant in and left, and it all leaked out. All right, so you get the call, and before you even see it, what were you preparing for? When you're following behind other techs, you, you know, you just, I, I just try to be thorough. I don't take anything for granted. We get a, a lot of calls like, oh, well, they've already checked this, checked that, and I make my own diagnosis. Like with compressors, I, I'm 90% of the time when you go out and they say, oh, they've, they've checked the compressor and it's bad, it's not the compressor. So I just was just going to see what was going on. All right. You, you get there and you went through the standard diagnostic checks. You found nothing. Can you go through with me? What were the next steps you took? When I show up, some of the first, well, the first things I'm going to do on, on refrigeration, you don't always put your gauges on there first, but when your, your pressure, you know, you check your pressure switches and the pressure switch is open, indicating I did not have any refrigerant. So when I, when I put my gauges on there, it, it was flat. And usually 
when you put your gauges on there and it's completely empty, it's like, well, this will be an easy leak to find, but this one wasn't. So what'd you do? I, I guess this would be a situation where your years of experience would come to play. I put a little bit of nitrogen in there and expecting to hear it leak out and I couldn't see it move at all. I put a hundred pounds of uh, nitrogen pressure on there and it, it held. So I had to bump it up and I'm using my leak detector and not finding anything. I'm using soap bubbles and not finding anything. And so I was kind of getting frustrated. I, I had to put 300 pounds of pressure. I, I just, I started tugging on things, uh, pulling wires, moving, moving my copper, you know, seeing if I could, you know, find out what was going on. And uh, this actually had a, it's a pin style pressure switch. It screws on and, uh, a port on the line. It has two wires coming out of a, of a kind of a Molex, uh, it's a molded type material. And when I pulled on that wire, I heard, I heard, I didn't see anything, but I heard it go like that. And then I, I put bubbles on it and it was blowing bubbles. It was actually inside that, the rubber uh, that's around the wires coming out of that pressure switch that were, that's where I found the leak. So why had it caused the cooler to dump all of its refrigerant? On the low side, uh, when the system cycles off, the pressure comes up. And so when the system cycles off and the pressure's equalized, it, it the pressure would get high enough and it would it would leak out where that wire was. I just don't understand how I couldn't hear it. And I couldn't even pick up anything with my leak detector. But once I started pulling on wires, once I pulled that wire to the side, I could hear it. And then, you know, then my leak detector went off and I found it was bubbles. But, you know, it was, it was frustrating me because usually, like I say, when a leak, when you have a system that's, that has no refrigerant in, usually the leaks are really easy to find. This one just wasn't that day. All right, you figured it out. I can tell that the frustration's easing a little bit. Um, it turns out it was a relatively easy repair. What did you do to fix it? At that point, it, it was on. Uh, it, it screws on to the to the refrigerant line. This was on the suction line. It was it was a low pressure switch. So what I did, uh, the system was already emptied. Uh, so I just I, I unscrewed that one and I put a, a different style pressure control on there that we carry on our trucks. It's a mechanical. It's not just a screw on top with that that has just a little snap disc in it. It's actually a mechanical control with a spring. So I put a, a low pressure control on there. I went ahead since I, since the system since I opened it up. I went ahead and uh, I changed the the dryer on the system and that helps remove any moisture. And then I, I still put nitrogen on there again to help help remove any moisture evacuated it and then weighed in a charge and that was it and like a lot of things would you say that this just came down to a little bit of perseverance yes sir and and that's the one thing Um, i have children and when i saw the movie apollo i believe it was apollo 13 that you know he talked about failure is not an option well they don't call service companies come out there and not fix things so failure wasn't an option you know when you have a leak you, you you can't just write down you had a leak and leave and and I, and I get frustrated with other techs because you'll show up and another company's been there and they say, well, we had a leak or we had to put refrigerant in. Well, if you have to put refrigerant in, there's a leak and, and they don't address that. And, and our consumers don't always, you know, they just pay the bill. You know, some of them will say, hey, where's the leak? But it's just frustrating when you go behind people that just put refrigerant in and, and don't take care of their customers. Roy, what kind of advice do you have for techs who find themselves at a job site and it should be a relatively easy problem to fix, but they find themselves baffled and then, like you said, getting frustrated? When I, you know, first got in this business, you know, I had my teacher, I, I, I took refrigeration courses 
at a college, local college, and I would always call him. He ha- also happened to be my Sunday school teacher. I would call him if I ran into problems, and he would say, try this, try this, try that. And and over the years, now I'm that person. Uh, people call me, whether I work with them or friends or family or former coworkers. Uh, if you if you don't have the answer, you know, there's always, you know, call, call somebody who might have a different perspective and might be able to help you. Yeah, right. Sometimes you just need another set of ears hearing what the problem is. Yes, sir. Are they are in different points of view? Like, hey, did you check this? Did you check that? And it's some, when you're on the roof and it's hot in, in the summer that, and, and you, you're getting overheated, it, it's hard to think clear sometimes. Yeah, I have that problem no matter what the temperature is. Thanks a lot, Roy. Appreciate the insight there. That was install manager for Hagar Restaurant Service in Dallas, Texas, Roy Cagle. All right, next up, let's talk nuts and bolts. And we're going to switch things up just a little bit this time. Uh, We got a lot of questions about R290 refrigerant. So we thought we'd have an expert call in with answers to some of your questions. On the phone with me is technical service manager, commercial food service equipment company, Delfield, Jeff Bokes. How's it going, Jeff? Very good. Yourself? Good, thanks. And uh, first up, we have Duffy's AIS CEO, Wayne Stoutner from Rochester, New York. And congrats, Wayne. He's also a winner of Food Service Equipment Reports 2019 Industry Service Award. Okay. The MSDS safety sheet for R290 refrigerant says the maximum storage temperature shouldn't exceed 125 degrees Fahrenheit. But when it comes to service vans, we all know the temp in the back of those things can regularly exceed that. How would you recommend techs stock, store, and transport R290 refrigerant on their service vans? And this is especially a concern in hotter areas in the southern parts of the U.S. Yeah, and that's a, a question that's came up a few times uh, over the years. Uh, actually, the MSDS for all refrigerants is not to exceed 125 degrees. So th- this is not unique to R290. Um, actually, when we first started uh, looking into this, uh, I, I was just looking, it was almost six years ago, we, we started rolling out with R290. Um, our, one of our 404 suppliers actually listed 123 degrees as the uh, – not to exceed temperature. So uh, really it's a, it's, they should, you know, obviously they have to handle everything with care, but it's not unique to R290. So they, they're going to end up storing it on their trucks as they would uh, any other refrigerant. Just want to remind everybody that the, uh, you know, the, the charge in the cylinder, these are, we're talking 14 ounce cylinders and, and with regular refrigerant, we're talking 20, 30 pound cylinders. So, um, I, I don't see that, uh, being as, as big a risk as, as, uh, any other refrigerant. All right. Uh, next up we have EMR refrigeration field service supervisor, Jameson Johnson, and he's got a couple of R290 questions. He starts with, why can't techs leave access valves on R290 systems and just lock caps to prevent tampering, noting that some manufacturers have access valves on systems from the factory with the R290 system? We as a company um, don't leave uh, the, the access fittings on. Uh, they for, for the main reason, obviously, we don't want untrained techs working on the refrigeration systems. Um, we all, we all know that, uh, as soon, the first thing there, there's an issue with, with the unit and it's always a lawn chart. So everybody always wants to add refrigerant. So that's one reason. And then the other reason is just the sheer cost of leaks at the, at the fittings, whether, whether they're, uh, 
true or not, you know, over the years we've uh, we've slowly got away from having fittings on all our units, even before R290, and that was that was just to drive down warranty costs because they are a, a potential source of leaks. And to address the locking cap thing, you know, we we took the approach that when we started rolling out this R290 that we do not want to unauthorize people being able to come up and just putting um, gauges on and, you know, the locks, people have the tools to get the locks off. So it's a twofold thing. Um, and, and a lot of it is just because of the, the potential leaks at the, at the service ports. He's also wondering if um, any filter dryer can be used on R290 systems. The straight answer is yes, but this comes with a little bit of a caveat that with R290 systems, you have to keep the filter dryer the exact same size as the original one on there. No matter if it's Delfield or any other manufacturer, the charge is critical, and we're, we're only allowed around five and a half ounces of uh, refrigerant in the system. So upsizing or changing that filter dryer in any capacity is, is going to change that charge amount, which will have an effect on the system. And will we see R290 on walk-in applications uh, anytime in the future in the United States? Probably not in, in the future. Um, I just, just with the charge limitations being so small right now, um, the, and there are other methods of doing that. I, I don't see it being on a walk-in. Um, hopefully the, the EPA and them start lifting the charge limitations for the refrigeration systems. But, um, you know, we, we struggle as a manufacturer and have, have got a little bit creative with designing our refrigeration systems when we've got rails and coolers um, to, to make up for the limited charge that I, I don't see that being viable just yet on walk-ins. Um, I, I think we're a few years off. Do you have tips or hacks to share with your fellow techs? If you do, write us an email or record a voice memo on your phone and send it along to servicecalls at fermag.com. And that's it for this episode of Service Calls, brought to you by Heritage Parts in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. We'll be back next month, so be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I'm Rob LaFrance.